Welcome to the Bovine Ontario Animal Health Network Q1 update. I'm Dr. Cynthia Meltenberg, co-lead of the Owen Bovine Network. We have a couple of quarterly highlights for you today, including an update on diagnostic lab data and a look at global surveillance. First, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Rebecca Egan for our diagnostic lab data. Thanks, Cynthia. So first, I'd like to take a moment to reiterate something that I think I mentioned briefly in our last podcast, and that is the importance of a well-planned diagnostic investigation. I bring this up because each quarter we invariably have submissions that are limited by, you know, an incomplete history or too few uh, samples for histology and, you know, maybe a lack of fresh tissue available for ancillary testing, so things like bacterial culture or PCR testing. And this can really hinder our ability to provide valuable information and answers to the submitting veterinarian and producer, uh, which is disappointing. So, you know, I hope that this reminder will encourage submitting veterinarians to consider the value, the true value of a well-thought-out plan when compiling uh, these kinds of submissions. So... On that note, you know, I'd like to remind everyone that the HL website has some, some really fantastic resources, including HL lab note outlines, um, some photographs, PDF documents for specific types of diagnostic investigations, including things like abortion, respiratory disease outbreaks, neurologic disease, diarrhea, uh, and unexpected death. So there are, there are also some really great podcasts and videos available online through the AHL and Owen Network. Uh, we've got YouTube channels and, and uh, podcasts. Um, and this includes things like submission tips for bacteriology and toxicology submissions, uh, how to you know fill, properly fill out um, submission forms and properly package multiple items for shipping. Uh, and by logging onto the Owen webpage, you can also access um, the podcast links and PDF summary documents for a five-part postmortem podcast series. Uh, and that does include a step-by-step -step video tutorial that outlines a practical approach to postmortems in calves. So don't forget to check that out too. Uh, we'd also love to hear from you. So if ever there are any questions about diagnostic approach or submission, or if there's something you'd really like to have more information on, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out to the Animal Health Lab uh, or myself directly via email or phone to discuss any inquiries that you might have. And now on to the HL summary for the first quarter of 2022. So in, uh, in quarter one, which spanned from February 1st to April 30th, uh, we had about 260 bovine pathology submissions. For adult cattle, there were 22 submissions, uh, which is pretty much on par with the first quarter uh, of 2021. These submissions were majority dairy, and we had slightly more postmortem submissions than send-ins. And unfortunately, three of the submissions in this group had uh, insufficient submission history. So again, just a reminder, the, the submission history is, is pretty important. It's something that really helps to convey um, the clinical picture to the pathologist, and we can try to help integrate uh, all of the information for that case. So um, it's a real collaborative effort. In this group, uh, pertinent pathology findings were fairly typical and included things like Mannheimian pneumonia, clostridial myositis, hemorrhagic enteritis, endocarditis, septicemia, abomasal ulcers, bloat, and also some cases of lymphoma that were compatible with BLV infection. 
Moving on to older calves, uh, so that would be from the age of two months to two years. Uh, there were 51 submissions that included um, many from both dairy and beef herds, and these were dominated by send-in cases, uh, of which there were about 40. So this is one area where I definitely noticed that there were some submissions that were limited by something like, you know, too few histology samples or a lack of fresh tissue to, to pursue ancillary testing. And, you know, this hinders our ability to provide an etiologic diagnosis or, you know, in some instances to provide a truly meaningful answer. Some of the pertinent pathology findings, again, were fairly typical and included things like pneumonia caused by agents, including Menhamia hemolytica, Pasteurella, uh, Mycoplasma bovis, uh, H. somni, and BRSV. There's also a suspected case of atypical interstitial pneumonia. Uh, enteric diseases in this group uh, were represented as well as they normally are uh, with things like abomasitis, ruminitis, coccidiosis, and um, interestingly there was a case of enteritis caused by Yersinia uh, pseudotuberculosis infection and that presented as sudden death uh, post weaning in dairy calves and the diagnostic investigation identified separative enteritis um, with isolation of Yersinia pseudotuberculosis from both the intestine and the liver, which is perhaps not surprising. Uh, this organism can cause enteritis and septicemia in cattle, uh, as well as things like abortion and neonatal death. And it's worth noting that this bacteria can be shed in the feces of asymptomatic carrier animals as well. For neurologic conditions in this group, we saw cases of polioencephalomalacia and listeriosis. And there was also a, a case of spinal abscesses with vertebral osteomyelitis and fractures. As with the adult cattle, uh, we had some cases of pericarditis, endocarditis, and myocarditis. Uh, and in this age group in particular, there was clostridial myositis um, and one had uh, solely cardiac form, uh, and then another two cases had uh, just skeletal muscle being affected. We also had some myopathy cases that had features consistent with my white muscle disease. And again, this is a good time to remind our listeners that skeletal muscle should be a part of routine sampling for postmortem cases in ruminants. Uh, lastly, I want to mention some interesting bovine papilloma virus associated lesions that, that we saw. Um, and, you know, these can include things like oral cutaneous papillomas, vaginal warts, and things like fibrosarcoma or leiomyosarcoma arising from the vulva or vaginal wall. Next up, our summary for young calves. Uh, so that would be under two months of age. Uh, and this included, uh, I think, 54 submissions that were fairly ev evenly split between uh, dairy and beef and uh, between postmortem and send out. Uh, send-in submissions. Um, findings, again, fairly routine with cases of pneumonia, enteritis, omphalitis, myopathy, and septicemia. Uh, in addition to the causal agents mentioned in the older groups, there was an identification of bibristenia with Helicoccus ovus uh, infect infection, uh, and, as well as Klebsiella pneumoniae um, and Salmonella uh, species. Um, Enteric agents were pretty standard with things like rotavirus, coronavirus, cryptosporidium, and ETEC. And cases of abomasitis ruminitis or abomasal ulcer and uh, intestinal accident were, were also uh, identified in this quarter. 
in addition to embolic hepatitis associated with enteric or systemic uh, salmonella infection, one, uh, one case that we had of Salmonella Dublin septicemia presented with neurologic signs, and this calf ended up having substantial meningitis. Uh, in addition uh, to that case, we had a case of uh, nephritis. So that was um, what was interesting about that one was that we isolated uh, Galibacterium anatus, and uh, so this animal presumably had bacteremia or septicemia. Um, and as you may recall, there uh, was probably something in, in the last few quarters uh, where we discussed bovine pneumonia um, associated with Galibacterium anatus infections. So that was just something interesting. I thought it would be nice to point out. Now switching gears a bit um, to the grouping of abortion, stillbirth, premature birth, and full-term periparturient uh, neonatal death. You know, collectively we often refer to these as abortion submissions, but uh, it's it's worth noting that we can stratify these into kind of these subcategories. And when jotting down the submission history, it is useful to have the distinction made if possible. Now this quarter, which again spanned from February you know, February, March, April, we saw 26 submissions uh, with about twice as many of those coming from dairy operations than, than from beef and about twice as many uh, necropsy submissions compared to send-ins. In total, we had approximately 20, um, or sorry, 18 abortions, uh, one stillbirth and seven cases that fell into the category of premature birth or full-term periparturient uh, neonatal death. So not surprisingly, uh, the most common diagnosis was idiopath idiopathic abortion. As we know, you know, 50% uh, diagnosis rate is, is not uncommon. Um, so it, among these 12 cases where a specific cause was not identified, there were a few things like fetal congenital abnormalities, including hydrocephalus, uh, hydronephrosis, and uh, there was a case of fetal malformation that was characterized by Lumbar, lumbar vertebral agenesis and arthrogryposis. But again, the exact cause was, was not identified. The next most common diagnosis was bacterial abortion with six cases, and these had isolation of pathogenic bacteria, including uh, Bacillus lichniformis, Strep pleuronymalium, Klebsiella pneumoniae, and E. coli, and those had um, identification of compatible histologic lesions uh, of bacterial infection, whether it be in the placenta and or the fetus. And there was also one case of abortion attributed to ureoplasma infection, and one each of abortions attributed to bovine herpes virus 1 and uh, neospora infection. Now, in addition to two cases where dystocia was the suspected cause of fetal loss, um, there was a submission where the sole finding was placental edema, and this came with a clinical history of cows that were delivering live calves, but with very thick placental membranes that weren't rupturing. So microscopic examination of the placental sample that we received uh, confirmed the presence of extensive placental edema, and this was in the absence of inflammation to suggest uh, an infectious component. Uh, it was also unclear as to whether the affected births had concurrent, you know, excessive accumulations of free fluid in allantoic or amniotic sac. Um, the, you know, we didn't know if there were any congenital malformations 
or if these live births were, you know, producing normal fetuses that went on to thrive, or, you know, did these um, animals go downhill. So these are the types of things that we would have liked to have had in history, but didn't, um, didn't uh, have that uh, in the submission uh, information. And, you know, these types of details may not seem overly relevant or important at the time, but they can be quite important when it comes to trying to pinpoint an etiology. So, for example, uh, hydramnios might be something that is more often seen with fetal malformations, whereas hydralentoas might, you know, point us in the direction of a uterine abnormality, you know, where there might be insufficient numbers of caruncles, and, you know, this could be accompanied by extensive adventitial placentation. Um, so again, those kind of distinctions, those, those kind of details, you know, if, if you have them, it, it is great to include that. But of course, we, we all know that that's not always available. So, you know, we do understand that and it's, it's just doing our best to collect all the information that we can if it is available. Um, and another thing, yeah, I wanted to point out was that, you know, hydroallantoas uh, and adventitial placentation. So for example, those seem to be more commonly reported in cows bearing twins or with IVF or cloned embryos. And it, it's also interesting to note that the specific syndrome of placental edema has been described in late gestation mares. And this is characterized by dystocia and marked placental edema in association with mycotoxins produced by endophyte infect infected fescue. So in light of this, you know, we considered the possibility of mycotoxin, mycotoxin exposure, uh, and that was something to consider in this herd, but I don't have any specific follow-up at this time uh, for that, but uh, something to, to get us thinking about for sure. Now I'm going to switch gears a bit uh, and provide some quick updates on salmonella and BVD, as we typically do. So first with salmonella, um, so in total, HL, we had 24. 248 bovine submissions that had bacterial culture performed and that does not include milk samples and this generated about 350 cultures in total. Um, for this salmonella species were isolated from uh, 11 submissions representing about uh, 8 premises and salmonella Dublin was isolated in 7 of, of these 11 cases and that represented approximately 5 premises. Uh, the primary findings, as we often report, um, associated with the uh, isolation of Salmonella Dublin included things like meningitis, pneumonia, enterocolitis, and or ruminitis or abomasitis and hepatitis. Uh, and often this is in association with septicemia. This quarter, the Salmonella Dublin infection um, that we did see was primarily identified in, in young calves ranging from 20 days to about 12 weeks of age. And this was from both dairy and beef operations. And um, in some cases, uh, Salmonella Dublin infection was identified with concurrent enteric infections, including viral enteritis and uh, cryptosporidiosis. And lastly, for BVD, uh, we had a total of nearly 240 BVD BPCR tests performed this quarter. Of these, uh, one submission generated two positive results as a part of herd screening. Now, the two positive results actually represented a single positive animal, but uh, testing was done on pooled blood samples. So when one of the, I think it was nine pooled blood samples yielded a positive result, further testing of individual samples from the positive pool were performed, and this revealed 
one PCR positive animal. So uh, for more information regarding BVDB testing or any other diagnostic uh, investigations, uh, just a reminder, visit the AHL website or contact us direct, directly. And remember that AHL and Owen websites have a ton of helpful resources available to help you get the most out of your diagnostic submissions. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Now for a look at global surveillance. In June of 2022, it was announced that Thaleria orientalis aikida was detected in a herd of cattle in Tennessee. The affected cattle showed signs of illness and lethargy, and despite veterinary attention and antibiotic treatment, some animals died. Thaleria is a tick-borne parasite that infects red and white blood cells and causes severe anemia in cattle. Clinical signs of thaleriosis are similar to anaplasmosis in cattle and include anemia, jaundice, weakness, and in some cases, abortion. Native genotypes of Thaleria orientalis in the United States are usually non-pathogenic. However, Thaleria orientalis genotype Aikida is a virulent strain novel to the U.S. Thaleria orientalis Aikida infections have been reported to cause mortality in up to 5% of infected cattle, and pregnant heifers and calves are particularly susceptible to the infection. Cattle that recover from Thaleria infections usually become carriers, which is a source of infection for other cattle in the herd, and once an animal is infected, it is a carrier for life. There is no vaccine to prevent the illness or effective treatment. Thaleria is not a threat to human health. The Asian longhorn tick is a common vector for this illness. However, it has not yet been confirmed in Moray County, Tennessee, where these cases of Thaleria were detected. It has been identified in several other Tennessee counties. Tick and blood samples have been collected to help identify the presence of the Asian longhorn tick. Producers can minimize risks for ticks by keeping cattle out of wooded areas and keeping pastures mowed short. Producers should regularly inspect cattle for ticks, use a clean needle for every injection, and notify a veterinarian if cattle show any signs of lethargy or illness. Also consult a veterinarian for preventative treatment for cattle for ticks. A full report on Thaleria orientalis aikida in Tennessee is available on ProMed. This recent detection in Tennessee is a good reminder for any herds that are purchasing cattle, particularly cattle coming from the U.S., to inspect purchased cattle for ticks and treat if found before adding to the established herd. Thaleria orientalis and the Asian longhorn tick have not been detected in Ontario to date. Outside of North America, a foot and mouth disease outbreak has been reported in Indonesia, which elevates biosecurity threats for the Asia-Pacific region and Australia's livestock sector. The outbreak was first reported in late April of 2022, and by mid-June has been detected in 18 of the country's 34 provinces, and more than 150,000 cattle have become infected. The disease is highly transmissible and causes lesions in cattle, sheep, goats, and other cloven-hoofed animals with global trade impacts. Indonesia will launch a nationwide livestock vaccination program. Previously, the disease had not been detected in the country since the late 1980s. We gratefully acknowledge ProMed for the information in our global updates today. A few reminders for our practitioners. Practitioners can easily bring unusual cases of disease or outbreaks to the attention of the Owen Bovine Network by visiting owen.ca and choosing the Bovine Species Network. On our Bovine page, veterinarians will find the Reported Bovine Disease button. No login is required. Please be part of surveillance and check it out. Also, grazing season is here. Check those fields for batteries and other discarded materials that cattle may find interesting. Thanks for joining us for our Q1 update. For more information, check out owen.ca.